Once you get to a certain level, it becomes critical that you start hiring what are known as who's not hows. It's actually a great book by Dan Sullivan called Who Not How. I'd recommend everybody read it. But essentially the idea behind it is that at some point inside your company, in the very beginning when you're hiring people, you're hiring what are known as house. And there's nothing wrong with that. Virtual assistants, and you're pretty much saying, hey, there's too much of this thing that I need to get done, so here's how you do it and you go do it for me. That's an example of a how. The issue with house is that you are limited in how much you can learn and how much you can grow. If you are telling that person everything they need to do, then you are not any smarter. Your company is not any better. You're more efficient, but you're not learning or growing. Typically, house are cheaper. They cost less, which is why the majority of people have hows inside their company. There's nothing wrong with hows, but I'll tell you that at some point, if you keep on playing the how game, you're not going to be around very long, or you're going to wonder why you can't scale, or you're going to wonder why you're a bottleneck, or you're wonder why you can't hit the next level, and it's because you still have to be there for every decision that's made inside your company. The faster you can hire the who's, the faster you're going to scale. Welcome to the Ravi Abuvala Show, where we show you how you can build a business that produces cash without you, so you can live the life you deserve. Now let's talk about how to find, hire, and onboard the top 1% of talent. This is some saucy stuff, you guys. This is gonna take you to the next level. All right, once you get to a certain level, it becomes critical that you start hiring what are known as who's not hows. This is not a Dr. Seuss book. It's actually a great book by Dan Sullivan called Who Not How, I'd recommend everybody read it. Uh, by Dan Sullivan, it's called Who Not How is the name of the book. But essentially the idea behind it is that at some point inside your company, in the very beginning when you're hiring people, you're hiring what are known as house. And there's nothing wrong with that. Virtual assistants, past clients, and you're pretty much saying, hey, there's too much of this thing that I need to get done that I can't get done right now, so here's how you do it and you go do it for me. You're getting back some of your time. That's an example of a how. The issue with hows is that you are limited in how much you can learn and how much you can grow. If you are telling that person everything they need to do, then you are not any smarter. Your company is not any better. You're just, you're more efficient, but you're not learning or growing. Does that make sense? That's a how. Typically, hows are cheaper. They cost less, which is why the majority of people have house inside their company. There's nothing wrong with house, but I'll tell you that at some point, if you keep on playing the how game, you're not going to be around very long, or you're going to wonder why you can't scale, or you're going to wonder why you're a bottleneck, or you're wonder why you can't hit the next level, and it's because you still have to be there for every decision that's made inside your company. How great would it be if you could come to a mastermind like this, Take away the two to three pieces that you're like, this is incredibly valuable, and then you Slack message that over to somebody and they build that entire thing out for you. Like you guys, just being really transparent, if you guys, at the end of this event, after all this knowledge that I give you, if you guys try to implement all this stuff on your own, it will be impossible. Like I'm giving you guys what we've done with a 42 person team, right? Which is why it's important for you to pick the ones that are good, but then it's even more important, what if you could just send a message to someone like, yo, Ravi said, hi, Rose, Pletko, and uh, Close.io, build this dashboard, I'm gonna hit the beach. Couldn't do that to a how. Okay, I, and I'm not disrespecting anybody, I'm not saying you're doing anything wrong, but I always used to try to save money by hiring inexperienced people, right? That was always the game plan. And that's what every program tells you to do out there. And there is nothing wrong with it, and it's a great place to start. 
But the faster you can hire the who's, I always feel like I'm in a Dr. Seuss book. The faster you can hire the who's, the faster you're going to scale. Once again, I was having dinner with a friend of mine who runs um, an eight-figure recruiting company for the SaaS world. And I was with all these SaaS founders, nine-figure SaaS founders. And I was like, let me stir up the pot a little bit. So I said, yeah, I honestly think that if you take outside funding, you're not a real entrepreneur. And these were all guys that had taken like tens of millions of dollars an hour. And I just got roasted for the next like 30 minutes. But I actually learned some really interesting stuff. And that's why, like I said to you guys earlier, if you think you know everything, you're already losing. So I actually learned some interesting stuff. And most of the time when they're taking outside funding, it's simply because there's already an established competitor in the market. They're trying to breach that market and they need to hire the talent to do it. So like if you try to start a SaaS company bootstrapped and like you're hiring only a house, then you'll just be demolished. There's no way. But if you can immediately pull someone who worked at Facebook's, uh, you know, head of revenue, which one of my buddies just placed somewhere else, their starting salary was like 40 million. You know, it makes it easier. (laughs) They've done it before. Um, And as we personally tried to scale, I was always the bottleneck to the growth. Once again, I was the smartest person on the team. Now, almost every entrepreneur I work with is understaffed in what they're trying to do. Almost every entrepreneur I work with, thousands of entrepreneurs, do not have enough manpower or are not willing to pay enough money in order to get it. I had a client of mine in the scaling initiative. He told me what he wanted to do. I told him he needed to hire somebody. And it was like $5,000 a month. And they were going to make him an additional fifty dollars to $100,000 a month. And he's like, nah, I just think I'll do it on my own. And I was like, that's exactly why you're going to stay exactly where you're at right now. Right? Every, almost every single person I've talked to is understaffed. We're understaffed. I don't have time for X is always the greatest thing that I hear. I don't have time to put the dashboards together. I don't have time for this. Hire somebody who already has done it and pay them money. Let's go back to return on investment. If I just showed you guys that example I gave you, one sales team guy is closing at 10%, everyone else is closing at 20%, you're able to identify that, you double your revenue. Is that worth $5,000, $10,000, $20,000? Yes, because not only did you solve it that one time, but now forever in the future it'll be solved. How much is that worth? Millions of dollars. Goes back to also the opportunity cost of me having an appointment setting team lead that wasn't generating what the current one is. How much money do we lose by doing that? The nice thing about who's is that they create an entire business inside of your business. They have a budget. They have their own hiring and firing capabilities. They have specific initiatives. They have meeting cadences. And they have their own key performance indicators. I talked earlier about uh, my creative director, Jack Wood, super, super talented guy. He lived in New York City. And I put out a thing. I was like, hey, I'm trying to hire creative directors. We got on a call. I was like, look, you got to move to Miami. And we negotiated the price. And I said, this is what I want. I just want you to take all I want is for my, uh, my unique reach to increase. And I want to make more money from the content. And we have all the tracking for it. You can have the budget that you want. You can hire the team members that you want. We'll just do it in the right order. And that was it. I just told him what I wanted. And because he was a who, he executed on it. Now we have an eight-person content team. Who's seen some of my content online? Pretty fire, right? That was not what that was six months ago, man. That was bad six months ago. Totally changed the way that we were doing it. And I'm not like doing charity work with Jack. I make an ROI from Jack's work. He's able to make us more money. 
Um, and like I said, I have literally created entire departments inside my company that have generated millions of dollars from one meeting a month. You have a question? I will show you in just a moment. It's almost like I know exactly you're going to ask that question, like I've done this before. I will show you how to find who's in a moment. Uh, now, I always tell this to a lot of my higher level clients, because depending on where you are, this may be true or not be true, but you are typically only one higher away from everything you've ever wanted. One higher away. You guys are not willing to spend a few thousand dollars a month, and you're typically one higher away for whatever reason. Let's go through some examples of who's I've hired, and then I'll go and show you how to find the who's. Number one, my creative director, I already told you. Number two, client success director. I was very, very lucky recently. We just uh, hired a gentleman that worked for another multiple eight-figure coaching program. He built their entire client success department. I made him an offer, and now he's built our entire client success department. I'll be honest with you. I've never built like a full-blown client success department with ascensions and KPIs. And I was just like, hey, if you come in, you'll, you'll be able to hire who you want. You can, uh, you can use the budget that you want. I won't micromanage. You'll have full discretion. It's like you're running your own company. And then we just meet once a week. And that's the other nice thing. If you guys are trying to hire who's and you're treating them like how's, they're going to leave. You have a question? Revenue share versus paying somebody? Yeah, like um, with my marketing guy, if should I, could I do a revenue share? Like as much money you bring in, you'll get a percentage. A hundred percent. So uh, we're going to talk about in a moment compensation for uh, who's. Once again, I, I'm very planned with all this stuff. So give me one second and I'll show you exactly. But that's an excellent question. A remote integrator. So another problem that we have inside of our company at some point is uh, operations or tech. Having somebody actually be able to solve, like, if you're still creating all these apps inside your company, your funnels inside your company, whew, right? Websites, if you're still setting up systems, that's a high leverage activity. But if you can get somebody else to do it for you, the game's changed. I'll show you a little bit later. Some of my clients have hired six to ten integrators from me and just placed them all in different departments in different companies. Once you understand the game of like, if I get someone talented, this whole thing can be built for me, you'll never go back again. It's like a drug. Marketing director, chief marketing officer, executive assistant, tech lead integrator, sales team leader. Like I, I, I built a 35 person sales team inside of our company, but I'll be honest with you, I'm not the best person in the world at sales. Somebody else is. So I hired them instead. He makes a good bit of money from it, right? Appointment setter, team leader. I think you guys get the idea, right? The main thing you need to be looking for, if you take one thing from this presentation away about hiring, is that right now, if you are the only person, if you are the direct report for all of your house, you'll never be able to get stuff done. So you should at least look to hire one person who can separate you from all the house. There's a really good friend and a client of mine, the initiative, Dr. J, and two incredible uh, remote integrators that we placed with them. And uh, he had just gone on a four-week vacation in Greece. And he was like, dude, I haven't taken a vacation in three years. And I was able to do it because I have integrators now. Because he, has, he actually has an in-person business. He's one of the top uh, doctors in Southern California. 
and he has a medical clinic there. And all the admin staff, everybody would always message him, ask him questions. And now they just message these two ladies here, and he gets to do whatever he wants to do. Now he's investing in real estate, he's traveling, and he's also working on, we're working on launching a software together. That is a million dollar an hour activity, if we get it right, right? So if you guys have direct reports and they're always coming to you and asking questions because they are hows and they don't know how to solve everything, then you will never actually be able to get anything meaningful done inside your company. Like who opens up their Slack with like 30 messages every day with problems, right? So ideally, what would be great, and I'm gonna show you guys what I want my company to be in the future, but you have the executive chairman of the board, which most of you guys don't have, but then you guys are probably the CEO. You have your executive assistant or admin level staff that reports directly to the CEO. And then you treat your company like different individual companies. You have your chief marketing officer, your chief tech officer, chief finance officer, chief operating officer, chief success officer, or chief scaling officer. And then they all have team members underneath them. And, and, and if you notice, there's no lines that connects these people to you. They can't come to you ask questions. Now, you can give forums for that to happen, such as 90-day performance reviews, so everybody feels wanted and heard. And also, they can tell you on 90-day performance reviews, hey, this team leader sucks, right? So, of course, if there's something I call CEO syndrome, where if all these people are reporting to you and, and they don't want to get fired, they're like, oh, everything's great. Everybody loves me. Yeah, everything's fine. All the numbers are looking good. And you're just taking that at face value. But if you don't have the data and you don't do your 90-day performance reviews, then you actually go, actually everybody on this team hates this person. What just happened to me before? Who's, how's, separation makes sense? We're on the same page, everyone's here, yeah? Cool. Um, now, my eventual goal is to be the chairman of as many companies, uh, of as a portfolio of companies. So I wanna run everything for my Slack like I told you in my vision board a little bit earlier. And I want to be able to, I used to have a graphic for it. I guess we actually don't have the graphic up there. But essentially, let's take this, executive chairman of the board, CEO, their companies, and I'm the executive chairman of the board, and then I have four to five of these things. So my direct report is the CEO, whose direct reports are the chief marketing officer, chief tech officer, chief uh, success officer, whose direct reports are all the team members doing the actual work. And that's what you call leverage. And that is what you call efficiency. That is what you call allocating time, capital, and people efficiently. All of these people are running the company for me. I'm just slightly guiding the company in the right direction. I don't know, like that, that, I don't know your guys' vision. That's my vision, that's what I want. I, I don't wanna be the CEO of a company forever. Uh, here's a few things that I see a lot of mistakes happen when we're talking about hiring and we're gonna talk about compensation and then where to find these people. Number one, falling for the either or trap. I used to do this all the time. Oh, they're great people. He's a great, he's a people person. So friendly, look at that smile. I'll teach him sales. He's willing to learn, he's willing to work. He has this factor, but he doesn't have that factor. But hey, you can't have it all. Tony Robbins says, you will only get what you accept in this world. So if you accept somebody, if you compromise, then you'll get that compromise. Oh, they really buy into the culture. They love, they love the company. They're a previous client. Like, they'll learn the skills, right? 
The other great saying, get them on the bus. There's a great book called uh, Blue Ocean Strategy where they pretty much negate 90%. All of the, the companies that Jim Collins is referencing and the getting them on the bus, within 10 years, we're all bankrupt. Right? So the definition of get them on the bus is not necessarily mean, oh, for most people here, it's like, oh, they're super talented. I don't have a position for them yet. I know they'll be great at something. Let me get them on the bus. That's not efficiency. If you actually believe that the world is full of talented and amazing and abundant people, then the right person will come when the time comes. Okay? This is my promise to you. The perfect team member does exist. You just have not worked hard enough or been willing to pay enough to find them. The perfect team member exists. Write that freaking down if you're having a hard time finding team members. The perfect team member exists. Or just write down, do not compromise. And I'm not saying, this is things that I'm teaching you guys that I've made mistakes from. I even talked to my brother who runs a local restaurant in the Panhandle of Florida, and he's like having a hard time with operations. He's like, we live in a small town, it's, it's this, it's that, there's not talented people, everyone's a transient. I'm like, dude, I just don't think you're really trying hard enough to find the right person. I was like, I guarantee you this person's here. The final thing I wanna leave you with on this one is that mediocrity begets mediocrity. Meaning that if you hire a B, C, D player, in your team, you will attract more of those people in your team. The A players can sniff it out like freaking sharks. So if you have B, C, D players, be honest. Raise your hand if you have a B, C, D player on your team right now. All right. Some of them, you got them with you at this event right now. You're like, shit. You're doing, by the way, Keeping someone in a position that they're not good at is not doing anybody any favors. It's not doing them any favors because they're not going to get promoted. They're not learning new skills. They're not going to grow. They're obviously better suited for something else. And it sure as hell isn't doing your team any favors or your company any favors. Nobody's winning in this. But you've created this story in your mind that you're the nice boss. It's the right thing to do. She has kids. You know, he just got out of a marriage. You're not doing anybody any favors. I'm not saying be an asshole. Everybody that we've let go, I have tried to find a position with one of my current clients. Like, don't be an asshole, but it just, if it's not fitting, don't have them fit inside your company, right? Another great question I hear all the time, why would somebody who is that talented come work for you? I'm really, really incredibly blessed and proud to say that we have unbelievable people on our team. Like, unbelievable. Like, they all either ran a business previously or we're working in a business that was in like multiple eight or nine figures. All of them are incredibly talented and can do it on their own. So the question is, why would they come work for you? One of my clients who's here asked me this question a little bit ago, right? Why would you find somebody? Number one, being an entrepreneur is not as fun as everyone thinks. Running a business fucking sucks sometimes. Like, just as simple as it goes. There's things that you have to do there's risks that you have to take, legal risks, financial risks, involved in the process that's not that fun. Obviously, we live in a society where it's glamorized. But anybody that's ever made anything of themselves understands that it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Number two, there is less risk. If someone can come who's already talented into your business that's already producing money and already get a solid salary and then make more money, 
Why would they want to go out and try to risk and do it on their own? You know, the, the saying is, one in the hand is worth two in the bush, right? Now, you guys as entrepreneurs, you guys maybe weighed the risk and you took the two in the bush one. And maybe it worked out and maybe it didn't. First nine months of my business, I made $3,000. I thought I made the wrong decision. Okay? The other thing is they're part of a larger mission or uh, values or vision. So not actually just like writing on, a, on an onboarding document one time and then like never referencing again. But if you can, I was talking to a gentleman earlier that was saying that like uh, on one of my programs, I walked through our missions and our values. And he was like, I, I can tell that you embody these values in this mission, which is one of the best compliments I've literally ever gotten. Because you have to live this on a day-to-day -day basis in order for your team to actually buy into it. If you say we're client obsessed or student obsessed, but you've, you don't have a client success department and you've never built out SOPs for it, are you really obsessed with it? Or do you just say that? I used to just say it. Another reason is they have access to more resources. So if somebody can come in, like Jack coming in and building our creative uh, department, and I'm like, hey, you can hire who you want to do. Like, we can meet with all the people that you want to meet. I have access to meeting, like, some of the best people in the industry so we can learn from them. He probably wouldn't be able to get that on his own or it just would have taken him longer. Same thing for my client success director. It's like, hey, we already have the SOPs. We already have a product that works. You're just making it better. So you can get access to things. They can get access to things that they couldn't have on their own. Uh, more of a challenge and on or a larger upside. So if you're in what's known as a, a vehicle, if your business is a great vehicle to be in, like they might be in a business right now where they don't feel like they're really being challenged enough, but they're super talented. Well, then you can poach them and take them for your company, and then you can give them also a larger upside, a percentage, which we'll talk about here in a little bit, of uh, the revenue, of the profit that they bring in. And then finally, for them, if they were doing it by themselves, one plus one equals two. But working with you, it could be one plus one equals 13. Does that make sense? By themselves, they try to do something, it's like eh. But with you and all the established credibility, your team, the other people you have, the systems, processes, resources, boom. Hey guys, really quickly, if you're getting value out of this, please be sure to share it wherever you share things. Share it with your friends, your colleagues, your employees, share it to somebody that you know needs to hear this message. We put an incredible amount of work into these videos and these episodes for you, and all I ask in return is for simply to share it to somebody else that wants to hear that or needs to hear this message. All right, let's get back to it. Cool, great question Dr. Lauren asked earlier. How do you know what you should pay the one percenters? Finding talented people. First one, this is something I've never seen anybody talk about, and this is the secret for me finding incredible people. You ready? Ask them. Thank you guys very much for coming to Scaling Systems Live. I'll see you guys next year, all right? So, in all honesty, though, everyone's like asking me, what should I pay them? What should I pay? I'm like, have you asked that person? Because it doesn't matter what I tell you you should pay them. It matters what that person wants to make. So, on my initial interview with every single person I interview, I ask them how much money you want to make. Clement over here, our newest chief marketing officer, incredibly talented guy, super grateful to have him on the team. First interview, I was like, at the end of the interview, I was like, so how much would you like to earn? And he was like, uh, I, don't, I don't know. It's like, I literally didn't, didn't even put any thought into that. Right? So sometimes it will caught people off guard 
but I just want to make sure I don't want to continue this relationship if I know that I'm not going to be able to match the amount of money that you want to make. Now, I'm going to talk about how you can match that in a little bit and how you can align the, the goals. But in the very beginning, if they're like, I want to make $700,000 a year, it's like, all right, well, then go build a business, you know? Um, my favorite thing to do is learn, write this down. It's called OTE, on-track earnings. Every single person should have in your company what's known as on-track earnings. So I always ask that person, hey, in the interview or on my 90-day performance reviews, what would you like your on-track earnings to be? And once again, 99% of businesses don't even ask. So they're just grateful you're even asking and you're aware that they want to make more money. And it's not always that they want to make more money, but a lot of them do. So you ask them, what's your on-track earnings? Right? So on-track earnings means that if you do everything that I want you to do, then you're on track to hit this amount by this date. So someone that's currently making $5,000 a month tells you their on-track earnings is $10,000. They want their on-track earnings. Let me rephrase that. You're hiring for a position, you want to pay $5,000 a month. They say their on-track earnings, they want to be $10,000 a month. Now you decide, do you want to continue this relationship with this person? Is there some way that you can make up that additional $5,000? Either through base salary, commission, any kind of comp like that. And I'll walk through some of that in a second. But one of my best recommendations I would tell people to do is that majority of people that say, oh, I can't find this talented person, I can't find that talented person, blah, blah, blah. They literally are not trying, they're not sending enough messages to speak with people, and they're not getting on enough interviews. So going back to me hiring Clemen, our chief marketing officer, he came from a, a nine-figure company where he was a chief marketing officer there. And he was the first interview that I had. And I'll be honest with you, I was the chief marketing officer of our company before I hired Clemen. I'm, I'm pretty good at marketing and copywriting and ads, right? So I didn't have any SOPs, I didn't have any documents, because I just was doing it myself, is what I learned over the years. So I knew that I wasn't gonna hire a how, because then I have to create all these documents, or I could hire a who and he could create all the documents. But I also didn't know what do you pay a chief marketing officer? What do you pay a client success director? I mean, a, a, a marketing director. So instead of me like Googling online and trying to figure out all these random things, I just got on 20 to 30 different interviews and I asked every single person what their on-track earnings would be, and then I figured out what was the average compensation that people would want. So maybe some people were asking for $10,000 a month, and other people were asking for $30,000 a month. Other people, I could figure out, all right, where is actually realistic in this realm here? So you don't have to know before you get in this thing that you want, that, well, how much you're gonna pay them. Just get on, just have a conversation with them, right? So the way that I set up the on-track earnings is I combine my base salary and commission to hit almost any on-track on earnings that you want to help them hit. So you can pretty much hire anybody that you wanna hire, if you can hit their on-track earnings, and you can almost hit any kind of on-track earnings, if you can figure out if you become a master at a base plus some kind of uh, commission, percentage, revenue, profit, something like that. And as the CEO, does anybody know what literally your number one most important job is? Hiring and firing. And I won't speak for you guys, but I used to be really terrible at it. So, this is a skill set that I learned and I developed and I got better at. So I learned how to combine on-track earnings. So if I, they told me they wanted $10,000 a month and they're currently at $5,000 a month, I would say, okay, honestly, I was only looking to pay $5,000 a month, but if, based, if you do these things here, based on our current clip, we're acquiring this many clients a month, 
you get this percentage of it. Within six months, if you do your things correctly, you should be at $10,000 a month. Right? So that's also a way that you don't have to go insanely out of pocket to acquire some of these really talented people. You can get them at a lower, uh, at a lower base, but a higher upside. It's like, cool, if you hit all these numbers here, you'll get this. If our cost per acquisition is between this band and this band, you get this percentage. If our cost per acquisition is between this band and this band, you get this percentage. If we make this much money from brand deals, if we have this many new customers, if our close rate's above this, you get this. One of the ways I also like to, uh, for those of you that do have like team leads, one of the ways I also do like to structure, here's a few tips I didn't write down, but I would recommend everybody pay attention. If you're structuring uh, commit, uh, compensation, first thing that I like to do is uh, I put it on what's known as a progr it's progressive realization. So let's say, for example, you have a sales team lead. Well, you can make it so that if you are earning anywhere from uh, zero to half a million dollars a month, he gets 3.5% of sales, half a million to $250,000, or half a million to $750,000 a month, he gets 4% of sales, million dollars a month plus, he gets 4.5% of sales, and it's, it's, it's used like taxes are used. So if anybody here has paid taxes, which probably most of you haven't, you degenerates. You know, if, you're, if you make a million dollars in a year, you wouldn't pay 30% on the entire million dollars or 39% on that. It would be a certain percentage would be at, at 10%, certain percentage would be there. So that way you keep your company from paying out a disgusting amount of money every single month. And typically... When I hire somebody, their compensation is based on any additional income, if they're in that a position like that, any additional income that they're bringing our company above what we're at. So if I'm already at a million dollars a month and I hire somebody and we're at a million dollars a month three months later, I'm not just gonna give him compensation for the, uh, keeping us at a million dollars a month. I was already doing that without that person. It needs to be for the additional revenue that you're bringing in without you. Does that make sense? Second thing, this is really great if you're ever looking to exit the company. I'm actually transitioning this with our leadership team right now. But if you can retain a certain percentage, a percentage of that on-track earnings, so let's say you pay a bonus out, you pay your on-track uh, commissions out once a, month, or, uh, once a quarter. So, hey, you make $10,000 base, and then because of the money that you generated, you also get another $10,000. If you can retain... $2,000 or $3,000, 20%, 30%, inside the company, inside the business bank account. It will incentivize your leadership team to stay with you longer. It's almost like it's an escrow. Does that make sense? It's a little bit more of a complex um, idea. She's shaking her head. So the idea behind it is that if every single quarter you're paying out your t leadership team all of the money that they get on their bonus then they're really not, in, like, if they're at the end of the, 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 uh, that time, if they want to leave, they get an opportunity, they can just leave. You just paid them all the money and they're gone, right? And I actually got this from the book Built to Sell, which is a great book I recommend reading. But when companies are looking to acquire companies, one of the things they want to make sure is that the leadership team is incentivized to stay on after the CEO has left. And obviously, there's multiple ways that you can do that. You can give them equity, but one of the ways that they recommended was actually retaining a certain amount of that bonus and then you can pay it out later on or, you know, whenever else you decided to pay it out. And then you're not spending the money. You could put it inside of crypto or stocks or real estate. But it incentivizes them to stay with you longer because they have that money with you. Does that make a little more sense now? Cool. Uh, all that being said, 
I do not care how good somebody is. I would not sacrifice the future of your company based on it. Like, if they're going to bankrupt your company, you're like, oh, we're only making $10,000 a month, and they're going to be $10,000 a month, but I know they're going to help us. Like, no, don't do that. Because realistically, even if they're the most talented person in the world, it's going to take 30, 60, 90 days to get them ramped up. Um, and then another recommendation, which I, I'm starting to do this, I wish I did this sooner, it's very, very valuable to have the entire comp or promotion plan laid out before you hire somebody. If you wait until after you hire them and then they say, I want to raise, I want a promotion, and you're like trying to decide on the spot, should I give them a raise or remote? It's very emotional. It's not very effective. Where you can be like, great, you're going to come inside of here. This is your base. This is what you get paid on top of it. Uh, after six months, if you hit these KPIs, you'll go to this. After three more months, you hit these KPIs, you'll go to this. Then they have the whole thing. Then it's not, there's no more emotion on what they're doing. It's very clear for them and very clear for you. Because by the way, the, the one of the, I wouldn't say downsides, one of the most interesting things that happens with 90-day performance reviews is everybody asks for raises every 90 days, which is fine. It's, it makes me better at being at a better boss, but you need to be able to tell them this is no, this is yes, why? Uh, another thing that I hear all the time, like, so what if you're afraid to spend money on someone else? One of my favorite sayings, scared money don't make no money, Okay. And like I said before, it doesn't always have to be out of pocket. It can be increased revenue or profit that they're bringing the company. And I always describe it to my clients who spend like half a million dollars a month on ads but don't have any team members. Like think of it like ads. If I, you were to spend $100,000 on ads and you're gonna make half a million dollars, would you make that bet? And they said, yes, of course. And I said, that's what team members are. Because they're either getting you half a million dollars back in revenue or they're getting you half a million dollars back in what? Time, which then you can then use to make more money or hit, going back full circle here, your desired results. Um, and then also, I talked about this a little bit earlier, but if you're focusing on something with 20% of your effort, if you hire the right person, do you think that they could increase what you're doing with 100% of their effort? Probably, especially if they're a who. Uh, final little lesson on this is to be wary of titles. So, quick lesson that I learned the hard way. How many people here have a chief operating officer? Yeah, you probably don't, to be honest with you. Okay? Um, because, like, the same people that have chief operating officers have, like, six employees. And, actually, Layla Hermosi created a great YouTube video on this, but you have to be wary of giving people titles because what happens is you think they'll feel better, but they start to see inconsistencies with how much money they should be making. Oh, well, that COO at that company makes that amount of money. Oh, well, they're different, right? So I gave a great example. When I first promoted um, my old COO to the COO position, he's like, hey, this is what I think the salary should be. And I'm like, why do you think the salary should be like this? He's like, I Googled how much CEO COOs make, and this is what it says. I was like, okay, well, in the fine print on the bottom here, it says that these COOs have been COOs for three to five years. I just promoted you to this, and you don't know what a CEO does. I don't know what a CEO does, right? And that's the other mistake, the responsibilities. If you've never been a COO, and they've never been a COO, how the hell can they be a COO? They can, but it's difficult, right? So I'm not knocking nothing. This is all my fault, and ended up working totally fine. But I'm trying, this whole point of this is to give you guys lessons of things I've learned the hard way. So if you're hiring somebody and you don't know what that position is supposed to do, hire a, a who in that's already done that position before. 
Our chief marketing officer was a chief marketing officer at another company. Our client success director was a client success director at another company. They know what, I didn't know what their KPIs are supposed to be. They tell me what they're supposed to be. So just be, just be very wary. I think that people try to attract talent by just throwing out a nice little title, and I think it can really hurt you later on. So let's walk through actually how to acquire. Someone asked me earlier, how do you find the 1% of talent? This is gonna be pretty awesome. Very similar to client acquisition, which we're gonna cover all day tomorrow. How are we doing so far here? We good? Yeah? Good? Let's a round of applause. Let's make sure everyone's still with me right now. All right. So very similar to client acquisition like we're gonna talk about tomorrow, you should create a talent acquisition machine. Most people have no systems around hiring and then they wonder why their team sucks or they can't grow. So this is our hiring funnel. I built this out a few years ago and we've used it for almost every single position that we have now. I'm gonna walk through this more in depth in the next few slides, but uh, first you actually have the place where you're finding the talent from then you have the messaging that you're sending to the talent. Then you send the talent to the hiring page where you give them more information. Then there's an application. That application gets sent to your Slack channel for hiring. Then you have the first in, uh, initial interview. Then you have a second interview. You make the offer and then you do the onboarding call. If anybody has seen any of my other material, this looks very similar to our client acquisition funnel. Ads, messaging, like Facebook, messaging, sales funnel, application page, uh, a booked appointment channel, uh, a discovery call, demo call, make the offer, client onboarding. I'd say that like majority of you have a client acquisition system in place, but almost nobody has a talent acquisition system in place. If we go back to what I talked about earlier, what's known as activation energy, if it is such a pain in the ass for you to hire a position because you, have, you don't have it hiring systems, you probably won't hire that position. Does that make sense? If you make it incredibly difficult to find somebody, then you will always rationalize in your brain, I don't need that person. It would be, it's not, it's not necessary. And, and you're really just one hire away from the dream, the dream business you wanna make, right? So uh, the first thing you need to decide is that wasn't on this funnel, but I just wanna walk you guys through it, is uh, the job description. And once you guys get this down, it like kind of becomes a drug a little bit. Because I'll just be sitting at my pool with my iPad, and I'll be like, hmm, like, what do, how do I want my business to grow? And I'll just be like, you know what, we should probably get a recruiter. So then I'll just write out on my iPad what I want, uh, what I want this recruiter to do. And then just from writing on the iPad, I have the systems in place to make this now dream a reality. You guys all have the power to do this exact same thing. So I was like, all right, I want them to be able to identify the top 5% of uh, talent in the industries using Sales Navigator, Facebook Group, Seamless.ai. Uh, I want them to build, cultivate, and maintain a pipeline of these people so they contact uh, you know, all of the hiring people we have coming in within 24 hours. So you can write out everything you want that this person to do. My chief marketing officer, I wrote out the number one job, uh, increase the amount of qualified book calls we have in our company. Client success director, number one job, increase the lifetime value of our clients. Everything can be pegged to that. Like you're not gonna be able to increase lifetime value if you're not delivering on your clients. So like every other KPI can service that. Next is uh, finding the actual talent. So someone asked me earlier, how do you find the 1% of talent? You treat it just like you would outbound messaging. So I personally like to use LinkedIn Sales Navigator. It's pretty incredible. But you can go on LinkedIn Sales Navigator. You can type in the United States 
uh, in the industry, marketing and advertising. They've been uh, in the industry for three to five or six to 10 years. They work at a company with anywhere from one to 50 employees, and they have the title chief marketing officer. And just like that, uh, a thousand plus results. Most people are still hiring from uh, message your friends, message your family, post in your Facebook group, get a client. I used to tell people to do that until I started hiring people that were much smarter and better than me, and I was like, I will never do that again. Does that make sense on where to find these people from? There's also websites. I'll give you another example. We use something like Upwork. Upwork has the same filters. Here's a little hack for everybody on here. Upwork has the same filters where you can say, I want somebody who has the ability to uh, let, like set up close IO, who is uh, less than $10 an hour, who is, um, has a 99% plus success rate, who responds back within 10 minutes, and who also uses the keywords click funnels or something else. And it'll give you a list of 50 people. And then, I personally don't message them on that website. I then Google their name, I find their website, I find their LinkedIn profile, and I send them a message somewhere else. So there's all these channels for you guys to find incredibly talented people in like this distilled down list, and then you just send them a message, which I'm gonna show you in a second. Spend just as much time on your hiring systems as you do your talent systems, and your business will change. So the actual messaging itself, Right? So this is like just like a client acquisition system. If someone's already working another job and they're doing a great job, you can't just be like, yo, come work for me. It's great. You have to literally get specific. Why should they work with you? What's the upside? How fast are you guys growing? What kind of benefits will they have? How are you in the industry? What kind of benefits do you run? Right? So if you can be very specific, hey, we do all these things, we're growing fast, we have an amazing team, you'll have unlimited resources, budget, then they're much more likely to respond back. Make sense, can I get some head nods? Yeah, we're all on the same page? Cool, next is the hiring page. So this is where most people's systems would break. They would, someone would respond back and they'd go, let's hop on a call, let's have a message. And it's like, wow. And, and a second ago, I just showed you that there was 1,000 people that, 1,000 plus people that fit that profile. If I hopped in a call with every single one of those people, I would die, right? Doesn't fit into my, my desired results. So instead, I create a sales funnel, shocker, shocker, where I create a video and I walk through, every one of these videos is me walking through this thing right here. So my chief marketing officer video, I was like, hey, this is what I want you to do. Your number one thing is to do this. If you don't know how to use Hyros or Close.io or any of this stuff, don't, e uh, just, don't even apply for this position. This won't be a good fit. This is how we help people. You need to have this many years of experience. So it's a qualification asset. It's a, it's a video I use, and I send it to everybody. Some of these platforms, like LinkedIn, they just made an update, and Indeed, where they used to make you use your, you used to have to take that traffic and send to LinkedIn or Indeed's uh, platform, but now you can send it to your own website. So you can spend $10 a day on Indeed for super qualified people and send it to a sales page that's explaining the entire offer, and you can get literally like $3 applicants who have watched a 10-minute video talking about exactly what you want. So there's a 1,000 plus people that I could reach out to. 
you know, I actually go through and filter the list manually because it's worth it for me to make sure I'm only reaching out to qualified people. So then I maybe message 100 people. They all watch the video. Out of the 100 that watch the video, 20 actually apply. Out of the 20 that actually apply, I get on an interview with 10 of them, and then I hire one. Efficiency. And then this is what the sales, want to work for us as chief marketing officer? Watch this video and then apply. Yes, I'm a good fit. And then the actual application, right? So we say, please select the areas you have all expert knowledge in. Facebook ads, Google ads, Slack, Close.io, YouTube ads, Hyros. And then I say, drop any screenshots of previous work if available. So I'm, I want to see proof of their return on ad spend. I want to see proof on videos that they've made that have gotten the millions of views. Then it gets sent to a hiring channel, which all of our team leaders share. So you can set up these systems to be running all the time. So if you have a, like a client acquisition system, if you have a talent acquisition system, always bringing you new sales people, always bringing you new client success managers, just running in the background all the time, every day I just see one or two more applicants we have going in there right now. And I'd be like, oh, this person's super talented. We might need to talk to this person. So it gets sent to a Slack channel. You receive a new submission for a client success application. Uh, and then we do an initial and second interview. So initial interview is done by typically the department leader because I value my time at $5,000 an hour. I only want to talk to people that are obviously really close to being hired. So typically we'll go through an initial application with uh, the, the director of the department. And then if they think it's a good fit, then they'll bring them on a call with me or a call with somebody else on the team. So we can both see individually what the difference, uh, if they are a fit for the company. There's a great book by, I think his name is Steven Schwartzman, but he talks about the airport test. He's the founder of BlackRock. It's called the airport test. And it's the idea that if you wouldn't want to be stuck for two hours in an airport with that person, don't hire them on your team. So everybody might look really great on paper, and then you have that initial interview and they're like, yeah, I mean, you're like, I would not want this person on this company. Like, we have certain ethos and cultures and values that we have inside of our company, and if that person doesn't have it, then they'll screen them out in the first initial interview. Then you make them an offer. So these are, this is inside of our PandaDoc, our, our proposal software. We have one for every position. Chief marketing officer, sales team leader, uh, salesperson, client success director, content, so everything, so I can just... Once again, it's a system. If it makes it very easy to hire somebody, we're gonna make a lot of offers. Uh, and then we actually have onboarding documents, right? So inside of our Google Docs, like I showed you that executive assistant onboarding one, we have one for every position. Everything that we do, we have a full document of onboarding documents. Full, a full Google Drive of onboarding documents. So we talk about our mission, we talk about our values, how to onboard a new employee, expectations. So my challenge for everybody here is to hire the hire you know you've all been putting off. I am now giving you permission to do this. I'm waving my wand. You now have permission. Make the hire that you need to hire. Very, very excited. Thank you for coming here. I know you and I roll in a lot of the same yeah, circles. So I'm excited yeah, to hang it's out, gonna be, This is going to be, and just for people that are tuning in now, I mean, some of the conversation we were just having off camera, I was like yelling at Jack. I was like, <laughs> dude, turn the camera on. This stuff is good. But I always ask every single guest the exact same first question here. So, you know, I run Scaling with Systems. We were talking about right now.
Hey guys, really quickly, if you're getting value out of this, please be sure to share it wherever you share things. Share it with your friends, your colleagues, your employees, share it to somebody that you know needs to hear this message. We put an incredible amount of work into these videos and these episodes for you, and all I ask in return is for simply to share it to somebody else that wants to hear that or needs to hear this message. All right, let's get back to it.